Welcome to WP Tonic episode 133. Today we're talking with Kai Davis about digital outreach. Before we start, I'd like to remind everyone to leave us a review on iTunes if you're getting value from this show. And with that, uh, I'm going to let our guest introduce himself. Kai, who are you? Who am I? I mean, that's a question I wake up every single morning and ask myself. And I have to tell you, I've yet to find a concrete answer. Am I working one right now? I'm a digital outreach consultant, which means I help my clients build uh, or manage their most valuable relationships and build new ones. And I go about that by identifying or helping them identify who their ideal audience is, the target market, the best buyers they want to reach, figuring out where those best buyers already congregate online, and then facilitating the relationships between my client and the audience owner, the person who's controlling or curating that audience and finding opportunities to naturally promote my client's best products or content or services to this audience on the other side. So in a nutshell, that's how I identify as an outreach consultant. You're very, very good. Uh, yeah, I want to introduce my co-host as well, Jonathan Denwood. Jonathan, who are you and what do you do? Hi there, folks. I'm the co-founder um, WP Tonic, or well, was the founder, but um, John has really been a driving force as well. And um, basically, we're a if you're looking for somebody who's reliable, a company that um, can help you maintain your WordPress website, deal with any small jobs on a fixed monthly rate so you don't have to worry about getting some massive bill or you're looking for true WordPress consultancy from me and John, we're here to help you. Very good. And I am John Locke and I run a small WordPress consultancy in Sacramento called Lockdown Design that specializes in local SEO and WooCommerce uh, development. Uh, the first question I want to ask you, Kai, is as a consultant, you know, how much of a difference does it make to focus down on one specific niche, one specific area, and one audience? And, and how do you decide uh, how you're going to choose that niche? Great question. I think focusing in on a niche, a specific audience, a specific target market is one of the most valuable decisions, one of the most valuable actions you could take as a consultant because it lets your customers more easily identify, oh, this is the person to work with. I mean, we could do a mini case study between your introductions and sort of a generalist developer just by saying like, hey, we help WooCommerce store owners with custom development. Okay, great. You're easily signifying to people who own a WooCommerce store, we help WooCommerce stores. If your tagline was, we help with websites, people would be like, well, I got a Shopify thing and maybe, I don't know, something. So by niching down, I think it's adding a marketing channel to your business or testing a new marketing angle and then making it easier for customers to know that they're your ideal customer. Oh, I have a WooCommerce store. I'm struggling with this. I better contact you and create what I call referable moments where people in your target market or friends and colleagues or past clients, you're like, oh, you work with this type of company to solve this type of problem. You help dentists get more repeat patients. I know somebody who owns a dental office. I better refer you to them. So I think positioning is incredibly valuable for any consultant or agency owner because it more easily lets your ideal client know who they are and who you best work with. One resource I'd be uh, incredibly wrong to forget to mention would be 
Philip Morgan's The Positioning Manual. It's a wonderful book for any agency owner or development shop on how to position your business. Essentially, rather than saying, hey, we've got this big pond of potential work, I need to be the biggest fish out there, saying, well, hey, let me find a smaller pond where I could just drop in and be the go-to person, the go-to WooCommerce developer, the go-to outreach consultant for this smaller arena, and then slowly build up that arena over time. So for any listeners that are curious about positioning, highly, highly recommend The Positioning Manual available at thepositioningmanual.com. A very good, excellent recommendation. Um, So here's a question. You know, you choose your niche, you've positioned yourself uh, to where you're serving a specific set of people to solve a specific expensive problem. Um, so now you're you're trying to promote yourself, and digital outreach is part of that. Um, how does that benefit uh, a consultant who's who's already found their position and they, and they're trying to get the word out? Good question. So with digital outreach, I see it all about as being as building relationships between yourself once you understand your positioning and the expensive problem you solve as a consultant and your target market, the audience that you want to serve. So with digital outreach, it's the process of identifying where people in your target market already congregate. Maybe it's a conference, conventions, online forums, watering holes like subreddits or private forums or uh, slacks, just these different communities. And then building a relationship with the people who are active in that community as a member of that audience or the person who curates and organizes and administers that community as an audience owner and finding an opportunity to expose those people to your best content and services and products. It's so easy for anybody just to show up and be like, hey, I got a thing, come buy my thing, and then they disappear. And then people hate you because you're that, you know, guy who showed up and just said, hey, buy my thing. But instead, if you approach it from the perspective of relationship building, how do I become an ally to this community? How do I build a relationship with the members or with the person who's curating and owning the community? You find opportunities to promote your products and services in a natural way where it doesn't come off as overly salesy, but instead comes off as, oh, hey, I've been contributing value here. By the way, check out this resource, similar to how I reference, oh, you should check out the positioningmanual.com. It's a way to reach an existing audience, your listeners, and promote a product that would benefit them but in a way that doesn't come off as go buy this thing immediately. It's more, oh, if you have questions about this, go check out this resource. And I see digital outreach as encapsulating all of that. Yeah, definitely. And and I know that you work not only with consultants, but e-commerce um, stores or, or people who have educational products. And And what you're saying is like a lot of this is holistic. It's aligning the needs between the person with the audience, the person with the product, and the audience uh, of, of the person that you're trying to get that product in front of. Uh, what, what are some of the steps that you go through to, to kind of figure out if the, you know, how all those values get aligned to where people get the most value, everyone gets the most value out of that situation? Great question. Whenever I do an e-commerce outreach campaign or what I frame as a blogger review outreach campaign for an e-commerce client, I'm always focused on first and foremost saying, how are we providing value to the, I want to say end user here, but it's not end user, to the audience member, to the participant, to the person, you know, reading the review or engaging with the content. Because first and foremost, we need to be delivering value to them. So I coach my clients and work directly with them on saying, 
where would somebody receive value? Is it by having like a style guide if it's a fashion product, by having like a usability guide, by having a review that focuses in on this one feature that your customers always ask about? How could we first and foremost deliver value to the audience member? And everything else sort of falls in place backwards from there. Once we identify how to deliver value to the audience member, then it's easier to approach the audience owner and say, hey, I'd love to teach your audience something new. Would they like to learn about, you know, A, B, or C? Maybe it's a podcast interview. Maybe it's a guest article. Maybe it's a review. Maybe it's something else. But we approach them from the point of saying, hey, I'd love to teach your audience something new. I'd love them to end up with a benefit like this. Here's three paths we could follow. We could talk about A, B, or C. Which one would you prefer? Now the audience owner is in the position of saying, wow, I love providing value to my audience. Here are three options. Option two looks great. They're always asking for more information about that. Let's go with option two. And now we back up to you as the consultant or service provider. You found a way to reach people who are in your target market, teach them about something you're already an expert on, or teach them how to solve an issue that they're facing that relates to your consulting in a manner that benefits the audience owner. They're excited because it's not another pitch of, let me talk about my services, but it's a pitch of, oh, hey, here's something that will benefit your audience, which in a roundabout way lets you promote your own services. If you like listening to me talk about outreach for the last 30 minutes, check out freeoutreachcourse.com and you could learn some more and people can naturally make that jump. But from the audience's perspective, it comes off as not overly promotional, not overly salesy. It's, hey, I'm gonna educate you for 20 or 30 minutes. And if you want, you could step over here and become part of my audience, but you don't need to if you don't want to. I think everybody wins when we approach outreach and relationship building from that frame. No, I, I definitely think that that cross-pollination in audiences and, and exposing people to new things is is very valuable for anyone that's that's putting out any form of you know content, whether it's podcast or a blog or uh, YouTube or anything like that. Um, and so it sounds like a lot of this is really nurturing relationships within your industry and building trust with your peers. Um, you know, what, what type of process is, is that take, uh, how important is it to nurture those relationships within your industry? I think it's incredibly important to nurture industry relationships, either from an outreach perspective or just from a general business development perspective. Some of the biggest wins for my business over the last three or four years have come from focusing in on, colleagues, friends, people who are in the same industry as I am and saying, how can I help support you? How can I help your business grow? Coming at it from a point of an abundance and an abundance mentality and saying, I want to help you succeed. You succeeding more does not cost me anything. How could I help your business win? And sometimes it's being available for a phone call when they're trying to answer a decision. Sometimes it's offering insight or expertise on a problem they're struggling with. But no matter what, building and maintaining those relationships always comes full circle to providing you as a consultant with value. I, I love how you put that, that, you know, it's really from a position of abundance because, you know, as a consultant, um, it's not a zero sum game. There is enough value and enough work out there for everyone to, to share. And it's figuring out how you can best serve other people, whether that's your clients, your audience, or other people's clients. Um, the, the big thing to know is that if you give to somebody else, that's going to come back to you. That's not, you know, taking anything away from you. Um, so here's a question, uh, too. Uh, creating educational assets as a consultant, like yourself, you have uh, a few books which are, you know, chock full of value. Um, a lot of people 
have uh, educational assets that are high-level consultants. What do you think prevents people from taking the time and effort to create those educational assets that are going to end up being lead generation tools? And how do those fit into the bigger picture of getting consulting clients? Great, great question. Let me tackle the second part of that first. Uh, Why don't more people do this? And then we'll talk a little bit about the benefits and how this fits into the overall lead generation for a business. So I think most people don't approach it because they feel it will take too much time or too much work to create. I have to create a lead magnet. Oh my gosh, it has to deliver a ton of value. I'm selling multi-thousand dollar consulting services. So, you know, this free ebook better have a thousand dollars worth of value in it. And then we get stuck. I'm describing this from personal experience, by the way. So many times I've been like, I'm going to create that freebie offering. And then three weeks later, I'm like, ah, this is not going well. What I discovered just from studying my own sort of anti-patterns or behavior there is I get stuck in a mentality of thinking, oh, if the end goal is to sell them like a thousand, a five thousand, a ten, or a twenty thousand dollar consulting service, I want that lead magnet to deliver or that freebie offering or book to deliver that much value. So I have to create that twenty thousand dollar book and then I get paralyzed. But I realized just a few months ago, really, when somebody shows up and wants to sign up or engage with you or buy a book, well, maybe they're signing up for a free course you put together where you just have to make sure it's more valuable than their email address that they paid with. Or maybe they're buying a $29 book from you that talks about your methodology, the why and what of your process. Well, it doesn't need to be a thousand or a $5,000 book. It just needs to provide at least $29 or $39 worth of value to them. And by rescoping into my mind to that, I realized, well, it's easier to create it than not. It could just be a thousand, two thousand, five thousand words that talk about, hey, this is why we approach it in this way. And this is what the benefits are of approaching it in this way. And if you want to learn how we approach it in this way, feel free to schedule a call with us. We'd love to explain our process and methodology. But I think most consultants don't create educational assets, be it a free course, a lead magnet, a small book, a larger book, a larger paid course because they feel it has to be this large mammoth project. Uh, Amy Hoy's book, uh, Just Fucking Ship, is wonderful to help break people out of that mentality by helping them see, well, you don't need to ship like the ultimate mega guide to everything awesome at once. You could break it down into a tiny little piece and ship that tiny piece and get it out there and then build on it over time. So I think by approaching it with that mentality, it's a lot easier to create these educational assets. But why create them? Because it's a perfect opportunity to educate clients on how you work and the benefits you could deliver to them without needing to get on a phone call with them. I've had numerous clients buy one of my books, uh, like the Outreach Blueprint, uh, outreachblueprint.com, that talks about how to email anyone and get a response. I'd never met these people before. I get a little ping. Oh, hey, somebody bought my book. And I'm like, woohoo, somebody bought me a burrito. Yay. And then a couple of weeks later, I get an email from them. Hey, I just finished reading your book. It was wonderful. The process you describe is exactly what we want. We don't have the time to do this ourselves. Can we hire you, please? I'm like, that was unexpected and wonderful. Yay, thank you. So the educational asset gives somebody a low-risk opportunity to engage with me, learn about how I think, learn that you know I can put together something. I can actually ship a product. And then say like, oh, wow, the process he's describing in here is exactly what we're looking for for our business. And it gives an easy in. On top of that, they've already crossed that threshold from prospect to paying customer by buying a $29 or a $39 or a $49 book. So mentally, it's easier for them to now jump up to a $500 or a $1,000 road mapping session and then a three dollars to $5,000 project and then maybe a larger ongoing monthly project because they were across that hurdle. So educational assets provide an easy in for prospects provide a way for you to educate and nurture people about how you work. 
and help get them across the threshold from somebody who's considering working with you to somebody who has paid you money or signed up for something you've created. No, I, I think that's great how you put that too. Uh, the book is is a way to graduate people into a larger gig. And maybe they start even with just a free sign up, like a free PDF. And then they go to, to get in the book and then they go to the bigger consulting gig. And I think where a lot of people uh, feel to see that is they're just trying to go all the way to the end uh, before getting people, training people, teaching people that they want to give you money for information and, and value. Completely agreed. One thing I noticed myself when I looked at my uh, product ladder or product funnel, the different services I offered, I did an analysis of this at the start of the year. And I was like, okay, I've got like a range of services, the intro offering, the mid-level offering, the retainer offering, the larger retainer offering. But I realized if somebody showed up, it sort of started at $500. They could not engage with me for less than that. And I was like, there has to be people out there who want to like work with me in some capacity, but are like, hey, I don't have five Benjamins to hand you, Kai. What do we do? And I'm like, God enjoy my free newsletter. Thank you so much. You don't get to give me money. And I realized there, I was leaving money on the table by not having a called a lower priced or more affordable educational offering that I didn't need to hand deliver. So that spurred me to put together an outreach blueprint and podcast outreach as lower priced ways for people to say, Hey, the information he's sharing is valuable. I want to learn more about it. I want to implement it myself perhaps but I can't afford a full engagement. So a number of people who don't qualify for working with me one-on-one instead are able to circle around and say, okay, I'm going to buy the book. I'm going to buy the course. I'm going to learn how to do this myself. And then eventually might come around and say, oh, wow, this you know is a lot more time consuming than I thought from the get-go. I'd much rather have an expert do it for me. And that's where I think educational offerings, again, provide a lot of value by capturing that surplus below your minimum project size. No, I, I think that's, you know, definitely great. Uh, we're going to go to our first break. And then when we come back, we'll be talking some more with Kai Davis about digital outreach. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at KarenConrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're back from our break. We're talking with Kai Davis about digital outreach. Um, I want to ask you a question, Kai. Uh, the two areas that, that you focus on specifically with digital outreach are e-commerce outreach and podcast outreach. Um, what is more important about podcast outreach now as opposed to a few years ago? Great question. I'd say the most important distinction about podcast outreach now, as opposed to a few years ago, is that podcasts have grown dramatically just in the past year or two from less than 50%, less than 40% of the market share of uh, 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 time people spend listening to audio content to a much higher percentage. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me and my mind loses statistics like uh, water through a sieve, but uh, there's been a rapid growth in podcasting as a means for people to consume audio content. And along with that, we've seen an explosion, not just in the top end podcasts, the ones with hundreds of thousands or millions of listeners, but in the small to medium sized podcasts, podcasts with 50, 500, 5,000 listeners. And there's a wonderful opportunity as consultants or product creators to reach easily, honestly, a large segment of the audience by appearing on podcasts as a guest. The metaphor I often use is imagine your local chamber of commerce invited you to give a presentation to a hundred local business owners. You'd say, great, 
seems good. I'll probably get a couple leads out of this. You go, you give the presentation, you get a couple leads, you make your name for yourself, you come home. And a week later, they call you up again and they're like, hey, we've got another 100 people. And you're like, I, I just presented last week. You have to have confused me with someone else. And they're like, no, 100 brand new business owners. Never before seen you present. Love to hear you again. You show up, you present, you get a few more leads. And then the next week it happens again. They contact you and say, we have yet another 100 people who want to hear you talk podcasting, I think, follows the same form and format. You could show up on a sh one show, another show a week later, a sh third show a week after that, and each time reach 50, 500, 1,000, 5,000 unique listeners on that show, present your message and convert some of those listeners into members of your own audience. So the growth of podcasting has fueled a growth of small, medium, and large shows. And by strategically targeting your outreach to shows you're able to appear on, not punching too far above your weight class, not punching too far below your weight class, but finding that right balance, you're able to reach your audience, talk about what you're an expert on, what you're an authority on, and promote your services in an educational way. I think podcasts, to jump back to our uh, conversation on educational content, are a great example of that type of educational content. An episode like this one will be exposed to hundreds, if not thousands, of listeners over its lifetime. Well, that's going to transform into hundreds, if not thousands, of people hearing this conversation about outreach strategies, and it provides a long-term educational asset. No, I think that's beautiful the way you put that as well, because um, not only, you know, people appearing on, on shows like that, it has a long-term value. But also when people are hearing your name or your brand or your business, it takes a couple times for it to, to sink into their brain. And the more times that you appear on, on shows or in print or on a blog, the more people begin to remember your, your name and your brand. And that's the thing I think that people kind of forget is you kind of need help to, to build yourself up into this big, um, you know, entity. You can't really do it all by yourself. Um, so as far as, you know, starting a podcast, it, would you say that appearing on other people's podcasts is a good way to get your feet wet before you go out and, and start your own branded podcast? 100%. I think appearing on other people's podcasts is a wonderful way to test the waters before launching your own for a couple different reasons. First and foremost, you might be in a segment of the market where there aren't a lot of podcasts already in existence. And doing a small podcast tour, identifying five to 10 podcasts you want to appear on, uh, reaching out to them using the methodology I talk about in my book, podcast outreach to build a relationship and turn that relationship into an appearance can be a wonderful way to see, okay, can I get on these podcasts? Are there even podcasts that reach this target market? And do the listeners resonate with my message? Once you've been on five or 10 shows, you'll have a lot more information on the type of messages that the audience is uh, uh, positive about hearing, how the audience likes being approached, whether the audience actually exists or not. And it's a wonderful way to validate it. I've had friends and colleagues who have launched a podcast, built up five to 10 episodes, you know, went for that big launch and nobody showed up to listen because it turned out that podcasting just wasn't the channel that that audience used. So by doing a podcast tour first, you're able to easily validate, oh, do people listen to podcasts in this industry? If they do, wonderful. Double down on podcasting. Launch your own with that audience you've been able to secure. If not, 
okay, you've tested the waters, you've seen there's only two podcasts for this niche out there, eh, probably not the best avenue to pursue, and you could scratch it off the list. Same with really any marketing channel. I always like looking to see, well, are competitors or colleagues or similar people in my industry using this channel already? If so, and if they've been using it for a long time, well, that validates they're getting a return on it. It's probably not, not that much separating me from them, so I should be able to get a return on an investment on that channel. Now it's time for me to double down on it. What scares me is when I see a new marketing channel, let's say podcasts, and there's nobody in the industry using it. I start scratching my head and saying, well, why has nobody used this yet? Did I discover like the secret ultimate weapon nobody knows about? Or have people tried this and said, oh, now lose money on it every time. Let's never do this one again. So I always like seeing other people active in a marketing channel before I start investing myself. No, that's smart advice too, because if, if a marketing channel has got uh, a lot of viability, you're going to see some other people in that. It's not going to be a complete, you know, blue ocean or green field or whatever exactly. other color analogy that you want to make. <laughs> yeah, no, but, uh, well, Jonathan, well, you, yeah. you got a question for Kai. Well, it was a kind of follow through, and I'd, I'd be interested if Carl um, thinks that there might be some truth about this. Um, podcasting um obviously having a listener base is fantastic but also the kind of um having guests on the show and building relationships through having various people come on the show and building your credibility are also other benefits of podcasting would you agree with that carl completely completely there are huge benefits just from building those relationships i have a number of colleagues who have built their name in their industry by saying you know what i'm going to start a podcast and i'm going to start interviewing uh let's let's say mid-level figures in the industry people who have a small to medium-sized audience and then they level up to medium to large and then large to extremely large audiences and over time they've built connections with each guest they've maintained those relationships over time following up with them sending them interesting articles figuring out how they could provide value to the guest over time and those relationships turn into invitations to speak at conferences potential work projects uh anything under the sun. So I think having a podcast and using it as a means to build those relationships is an incredibly underutilized uh, uh, tool in our arsenal as business owners. Even if the podcast is just a means to broker an introduction with somebody who's influential in your space, have a 30 to a 45 minute conversation with them and then continue that conversation and that relationship forward, that could be a huge win, even if there isn't a large listenership for the podcast yet. That's great. Um, can I ask um, about your um, academy, your double your freelancing academy? Um, of course. Maybe you could um, describe what that's about, and maybe you can give like one or two insights of um, mistakes you see a lot of freelancers that come to the academy that you regularly see. Great question. So some background for the listeners. Uh, I'm the director of the Double Your Freelancing Academy. I've partnered with Brennan Dunn on this, and uh, we've uh, uh, launched this as a seven-month-long course to help business owners, independent business owners, consultants, and freelancers basically transform their business over a seven-month period. We think of it like taking your business to the gym. You're going to start off at one point, and with consistent hard work and accountability, we're going to get you an entirely new business, but it's going to take some work and effort on your part. So over that seven-month program, we move through modules on positioning, on market research, on messaging, on crafting offers, and on different marketing strategies, content marketing, paid marketing, social marketing, uh, marketing automation, to help people say, I've got a successful freelance business, but I really want to take it to that next level. What should I do? Well, if the academy, we provide both a roadmap, hey, month one, month two through month seven, this is what you should do. 
and the accountability and support. Weekly lectures from subject matter experts like Philip Morgan, who wrote the book on positioning, uh, weekly meetings with your mastermind group, a group of six other peers so you could have that accountability and support. So Brendan and I designed this program from the ground up to provide what we saw freelancers and consultants really needing to transform their business, accountability, direction, and support. And we founded the Academy on those three principles. In terms of mistakes we've seen freelancers make that prevent them from succeeding, I really think it comes down to one key aspect, uh, personal accountability or accountability to a group. It's one thing to say, I know I need better positioning, I'm going to do it. It's another to actually act on that and implement better positioning for your business. Same with any other part that I just described, be it market research or marketing for your business. There's a phrase I often use, simple but not easy. A lot of the concepts we talk about in the academy, get better positioning for your business, talk to 10 potential customers and learn about the pains and problems they have. They're simple ideas that we've heard time and time again, but having the accountability and support to actually implement them in your business is the most challenging part because it's so easy to defer the time we want to spend working on our business and instead spend it working on a client's business or working on a client project. So within the academy, we're incredibly focused on providing that space for accountability, for support, for direction. So students who enroll in the academy know, okay, this is the roadmap. This is what I need to do this month. This is what I need to do this week. And I have the support of both a subject matter expert, uh, a success coach leading my mastermind, my group of peers, and the 300 plus graduate students of the academy to provide that support, that direction, and answer my questions. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And they can get all the information if they go to the website, wfreelancing.com. That's correct, isn't it, Carl? Uh, wfreelancing.com forward slash academy. All right. Thank you. Um, would it be correct in saying that you've been um, active consultant since um, 2012, or would that be correct, or did you start before that? Consultant? I started before that part-time. Uh, 2012, I met, made the leap to full-time consulting. So I've been consulting on a part-time basis since 2008 and full-time since 2012. So if you were looking back to um, Cole Davis in 2012... What would you? Um, what were some of the things, mistakes of, of reflecting back that you made initially? That being who you are now, you would uh, consult yourself in two thousand twelve <laughs> if you understand what I mean. What are some of the things? What do you like to say to yourself if you could go back in time, Carl? Good question. I'd say it really comes down to three key things. The first is find a group of your peers that you could talk with. Ask questions to and get their insight from. Uh, in 2000 and let me think or 2014, I joined a mastermind group with a group of now very close colleagues and friends. And that mastermind group having weekly meetings, having a Slack channel where we could post questions, having this community of business owners at a similar stage in their business who I could ask questions to was like rocket fuel for my business. Suddenly I was able to come to this group of experts, come to this group of colleagues and say, I'm not sure how to fire this client. What should I do? Or I'm trying to raise my rates. What should I do? And they were able to share their wealth of knowledge with me and I was able to share my knowledge with them. So thing number one I'd encourage Kai to do, find a mastermind group of peers, join that mastermind group. Even if it's just one or two other consultants, that will give you accountability, support, direction, and a sounding board. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this crazy thing with my business. Hey, that sounds a little crazy. Maybe you shouldn't do that thing. Or that sounds the right amount of crazy. Go do that crazy thing. But it gives you a sounding board to bounce ideas off of. The second thing, 
positioning. Back in 2008 through 2012, my positioning was, I will WordPress website for you. For who? For anyone who wants one. That positioning did not work very well. It got me small gigs, but it did not get me, uh, let's say, work as a trusted advisor. So I'd really encourage Kai back then, figure out your positioning. Even if it's just saying, here's a list of industries. This is the one that's most exciting to me. Okay, where are they currently spending money? What are the problems they're currently experiencing as an industry owner? Let me look at those two lists and pick like, okay, I'm going to do this service or I'm going to help them solve this problem with a service offering. Doubling down with my positioning like that would have been invaluable and made it so much easier for people to say, I want to hire you to help me solve this problem. The only problem I was really describing my ability to solve was I will WordPress website for you, which isn't really an expensive problem. Even when I just switched over to, I will improve the SEO of your e-commerce store back in, I think it was 2013, there was a rapid uptick in the number of people who wanted to work with me because suddenly they were like, oh, you solve this problem. I'm experiencing that problem. Can I pay you money to solve that problem for me? So again, it was like rocket fuel for my business. Uh, the third area that I'd say is very important. We talked about positioning. We talked about a mastermind group. The third area I'd say is honestly just charging more. There are a lot of mental blocks we feel as consultants around pricing that we're charging too much, that uh, how do we value what the client thinks this project is worth? How do we sort of step between these two arenas? Charging more was influential and instrumental in my business. And at the end of the day, all it took was me realizing, hey, I'm going to put a slightly higher number on this proposal and see if they accept it or not. If they do, wonderful. That's my new base rate. If they don't, okay, great. I will negotiate with them and next proposal, put a higher number on there. Brennan Dunn's Double Your Freelancing Rate book was instrumental in my success in increasing my rate. Uh, since I read that book, I think I've more than 10x my rate. So it's definitely over-delivered on the promise of doubling your freelancing rate. But I encourage any consultant out there who's saying, hey, I wish I could charge more for my projects. What should I do? A, there's really nothing holding you back aside from yourself. It's getting out of your own way and saying, I can charge for this. I deserve this. B, definitely pick up a copy of Double Your Freelancing Rate at doubleyourfreelancing.com slash rate. It will give you the tactics, the tools, the strategies, the systems, the methodologies to charge what you're actually worth as a consultant. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, the only um, thing I would say about that is, which is very linked to what you've described before that question, is um, positioning because obviously um, increasing your rates to um, clients that don't see your value and economically can't pay what you're asking is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a disaster so the proviso your your um for our listeners um not watching the video um you're shake you're shaking your head uh, so i get the impression you agree um, very much so so if you don't get what you previously discussed the what you've just described um a few seconds ago is not really going to pan out is it Mm -mm. Yeah, I definitely recommend thinking about, I think you could accomplish both at the same time, but you're absolutely right in that without clear positioning, without a differentiated sort of market tagline or positioning in your market space, it will be harder to commend premium rates. You could definitely, I think any consultant listening to this can definitely increase their rates from wherever they are right now just by applying a few simple principles to how they price and how they value their projects. But you will experience dramatically better returns, exponentially better returns by A, figuring out your positioning. What's your target market and what expensive problem do you solve? I help WooCommerce store owners get more repeat orders. And then by figuring out, okay, what's the value of that to an average customer? 
people, if they're doing, let's say, $300,000 a year, and we can help them shift that up by 10%, that'd be a $30,000 increase. Okay, we're going to charge $5,000 for that project. Maybe that project is installing and customizing three plugins and then providing quarterly check-ins to the client. The value is immense. You made me $30,000. To us as a consultant, the work is, t- is relatively small. Hey, we installed these things. We customized it. We made sure it's set up. And we're going to monitor and report and iterate and improve. The value is there, but it comes from that positioning, people knowing, oh, that's a problem you're going to help me solve. And it's one I really, really want solved and understanding how to value solving that problem for the client. Yeah, I, I totally understand it. It's value pricing in a way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to touch on a subject, and uh, I don't know if it's an area that you want to remark. If you don't, we can uh, move on. But it was, you know, you remarked about SEO. Um, obviously, SEO, like technology in general, is always moving and changing. So, how do you, in your own uh, mind, balance um, organic SEO? and paid um, traffic, you know, paid for traffic through Google AdWords, Facebook paid advertisement. What, what's your position about both and how do you, what are the fundamental changes that you might see in this area in the next year, maybe? Good question. Uh, I don't play around myself a lot with paid traffic, so my comments are very much from an outside observer. That said, I'd say when it comes to organic or paid traffic, both are wonderful marketing channels that it's worth testing and evaluating. For any given business, there's no rule of thumb that I can apply that says like paid is always better than organic or organic is always better than paid. It really is, well, let's invest $1,000 and see if this works. I think it all does come back to positioning though. If you don't understand who your target market is or the problem you're trying to solve, you're going to be running ads for uh, uh, your services that say, we will build a better website for you. And people aren't really going to click on that. But if you're running ads that say, we will double your number of repeat orders for your WooCommerce store, people will be like, I'm going to click on that one. So it comes down to positioning and communicating that expensive problem. That's what I think makes a uh, paid advertising campaign that much more successful. For organic, it's similar. As you understand your target market, you understand the questions they're asking, the solutions they're searching for. Now you could create content that answers those questions optimize it so people searching for those answers can find your content and then have organic as a channel but again comes back to positioning understand who your target market is understand the problems they're trying to solve now create content that educates them about those problems i think that was a fantastic insight thank you so much for sharing that because i think what you're saying is that if there's something fundamentally wrong with the positioning you're actually a magnifying your problem and you're actually spending money in showing people your problem so Mm -hmm. um you're doing the opposite of what you're hoping for actually you're you're spending resources and it's you're showing your problems in public almost you're pushing your problems out would you agree Entirely agreed. Uh, There's a wonderful mini case study I could share. There's a local web development company that was running radio ads for their web development service. And I heard this on the radio and I was like, that's amazing. I always love it when I encounter like what I think of as older school media for newer, newer media type or newer digital type businesses. And I'm like, that's awesome. They're doing radio legion. I'm going to visit their website. Their website was like, we will website for you. And I'm like, where's the form for me to apply? Where's the lead magnet? Where's a way for, where's your phone number? So I find 
finally find their contact form and I'm like, hello, I'm a business owner. I'm desperately looking for a website. Love to schedule an initial consultation. What's the next step? Here's my phone number. Here's my email address. My budget is like $5,000 to $15,000. What's the next step? We are now up to six weeks and I've yet to hear back from them. So I think... And they're spending money on radio ads. This wasn't Kai accidentally found their website. This was, I heard the ad they actually spent money on and then went to their site and then no response. And like, I think I wrote that as close to an ideal lead as I could have been. So I think you're absolutely right. If that positioning is out of alignment, if you don't know who you're trying to sell to or what problem you're trying to solve, you're going to end up in a situation where people aren't going to be able to effectively decide whether they want to work with you or not. And that's only going to be magnified as you're spending money on organic, paid, or any other marketing channel. That's great. I'm going to let John take over and ask some more questions before we go. Okay. We wrap up the uh, John, podcast. Yeah, I think we're, we're, I think we're up against like the end of the regular podcast and we got time for a little bit of bonus content. Um, so bonus round. Bonus round, definitely, yes. So uh, we're going to close the regular part of the podcast. It's, it's going to be five find... rapid questions, Carl, that if you don't yes. get right, you, you're in trouble. <laughs> they poked me up to electroshock, so I've, I've yeah. got my fingers crossed. Ikai, how do people find you? How do our podcasts... Said, oh, please, you. I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, no, no. Kai, how do our podcast listeners find you? Uh, the best way would be to go to freeoutreachcourse.com. It's a free five-day, five-part email course that you could sign up for that will teach you the principles of effective outreach, how to email anyone and get a response. Uh, it's a great course. People who have been through it have had fabulous things to say about it. Uh, I wish I could remember them off the top of my head, but I can't. But highly recommend going to freeoutreachcourse.com and signing up to learn more about the principles of effective outreach. Another great way to get in touch with me is I run an Ask Me Anything page on my website. So if you have a burning question about consulting, positioning, marketing, your business, outreach, anything in general, go to doubleyouraudience.com forward slash AMA. Drop your question in there. Usually it takes me a day to three to respond, but I try to respond to everyone that posts a question there and create sort of a public living library of knowledge about consulting and business in general. Are they, are they witty responses, Carl? As witty as I can make them. Jonathan, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, I'm, I'm easy to track down. I'm, I'm over the internet like a rash, folks. Uh, um, so uh, basically, um, email me. I do reply after a couple of days, not six weeks. And um, Jonathan at wp-tonic.com. Yes, it's got a hyphen. Yes, I tried to get it without it, but the guy wanted $10,000 and I wasn't going to pay that, folks. And um, Or you can Twitter me at Jonathan Denwood. That's my handle and I'm pretty active on Twitter. And I do, like every second day, look at my Facebook page and that. So if you do want to friend me, I will check you out. I will see if you're suitable to, to friend. Um, that's how you can contact me, folks. Very good. And you can find me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. And you can find me at Twitter at Lockdown underscore. Um, be sure to tune in to the WP Tonic website for the bonus content. And we will see you next episode. Mm-hmm.